You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to find out more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com where you'll find all of our past podcasts and other blog posts that we have up, along with some other items that you can purchase to help support the Beardcast. So we hope you enjoy listening to this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And, and this week, we have a, a wonderful special guest with us. We have Bishop Carolyn Olivito with us, uh, the Bishop of the Mountain Sky Conference, uh, my bishop. Bishop, certainly so glad to have you on with us this morning. Thank you, Zach. Thanks, Matt. Great to be with you both. Certainly. Bishop, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? A little bit about myself. Uh, you know, people, many people know I was born on Good Friday, raised in a town called Babylon. Um, was blessed to grow up in a church that really was the village that raised my cho- my my sisters and I, um, and that and really was committed to children and young people, and so at an early age felt myself wrapped up in the unconditional love and acceptance of God, uh, fell in love with that. At eleven, my uh, choir director asked what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said an astronomer, and he said, "But did you ever think about being a minister?" Um, I hadn't because I had never seen a woman do it. But when he asked that question, it blew my wor- my 11-year-old world. And I realized where else would I want to be? Where else would I want to offer myself? But this place that had come to uh, let me know how much God loves me. And so from, that, at, from 11 years old, I began to prepare for ministry, preached my first sermon when I was 16, was sent to Westminster Choir College at that age in, for two summers, and uh, in order to be a choir director of one of the five choirs in my home church. And then at 18, again, this church was so committed to its young people. If you had an inkling of a call, the senior pastor would take the entire summer off. He'd go to Maine and he'd hand any of us who had a call to ministry, the keys to the church and said, take care of these people. I will call you once a week on a payphone because we didn't have cell phones then. <laughs> and we did, we did it all, you know, those of us in college and seminary and it, affirmed for me what God wanted of my life. Um, I, I, being from New York, when I went to seminary, I thought, oh, let me go to the West Coast. You know, I'm such a Northeasterner. At least I'll see three years of a different part of the country. Went to Pacific School of Religion, came back to serve in the Catskill Mountains of New York, a small dairy farming community, 250 people, 25,000 cows, and me, the pastor who also drove the town ambulance, which was really a wonderful pastoral way to be present to the community. Um, I began to hear a call to campus ministry because I realized we had been missing one or two generations of young people in the church because those who uh, came of age in the 60s and didn't trust institutions didn't return like most generations to church when they started having kids. And so I uh, began to prepare for campus ministry, returned to Drew University for a PhD, and uh, was able to get a job at San Francisco State. And I thought, oh, I'll do that for two or three years and then come back to the Northeast because I'm such a Northeasterner um, <laughs> to, uh, to be a chaplain of a small liberal arts college. Well, I wound up staying in San Francisco for 27 years. Campus minister was then offered a church for 12 years, which was, you know, helped me. It, I bring such faith to the appointment process because it was a beautiful appointment in which we 
me as the pastor and the laity, we challenged each other to deeper and greater faithfulness as disciples of Jesus Christ. And it, it, it was amazing where God brought us in those 12 years. Um, I had a complaint when San Francisco had its winter of love in 2004, when Gavin Newsom um, allowed the town, the city clerk to issue marriage licenses to same gender couples. I had nine couples in my congregation who wanted to get married. Nine couples who I had known for many years, had been their pastor, had helped them through the highs and lows of their relationship. Many who desired to be uh, uh, foster parents. And, uh, and of course I had to say yes to that. But the minute I walked into city hall in a clerical collar, every TV camera came my way to say, what is this? Explain this pastor. And I knew I had a responsibility to talk about where I saw God at work before someone from another part of the country who wasn't there defined it. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, if we believe that God is love and love is of God, God was so tangible during that window. Um, I had a complaint, didn't know where it was gonna go, if it was gonna go to trial, if I was gonna lose my orders. At that time, Pacific School of Religion came to me and said, you're the kind of person we want to mentor our students. Would you become the, the Associate Dean of, of Academic Affairs? And I felt that this was a God moment. And as much as I love this congregation, um, I, I felt that God was kind of offering me a way to serve in a new way. Um, the complaint was dropped once I moved. I served there for four years and then began to ask, okay, God, um, what's next? Where do you want me? I, I, I love this work. Where in the academy do you want me to serve? Because I also at that time, uh, uh, Bishop Dew was the, the adjunct professor of United Methodist Studies. And in the midst of that, he, he became ill and said to the dean, you've got a United Methodist scholar on staff. Let Karen be the, the um, adjunct for United Methodist Studies. So for actually 12 years, I taught history, doctrine, polity, and uh, evangelism and mission. Loved it, loved it, loved helping um, a, whole, a whole generation of new pastors fall in love with our United Methodist tradition, fall in love with evangelism, even though they were progressives and were, were hesitant to claim that word. Um, and then, um, so I was praying, okay, God, what's next? I, I've learned the systems here. And that's when Glide Memorial came and said, we want you to be our senior pastor. I never thought I'd be returning to the local church. Um, I didn't want to go to Glide. I said, God, that's not what I meant. I said, no. Um, but they kept coming back to me. And for nine months, I, I was in a process of discernment. Did I have the the, the spiritual strength to serve a congregation that wasn't necessarily my spirituality? Did I have the ego strength to serve a church where the, the pastor of 50 years was on staff of the foundation, not the church, but the foundation, and, and therefore the icon? Um, and did I have the skills the church needed to grow from being a, a personality-driven church to a mission-driven church? And once I could say yes to those things, um, that's when I... That's when I uh, said, okay, but only if the bishop wants to appoint me, because I never thought the bishop would. <laughs> um, 
And so I was hoping against hope and the bishop said, yeah, yeah. And so I started there eight incredible years of learning truly what ministry on the margins looks like, that God shows up in the messiness um, and to be and to live into that and be comfortable with that because when we do, we're led to a place none of us can imagine. Um, and then began to hear a call. Well, well, general conference happened 2016, and I realized because I was the only woman serving in the top 100 membership churches um, as senior pastor, I had a unique voice to offer. And then also as a lesbian, I because I was out. You have to be out in San Francisco if you're going to have any credibility. Um, <laughs> And, and so when the commission uh, on the way forward was uh, formed, I thought, maybe that's where God wants me to serve. Maybe that's where God wants my voice. But after general conference, I began to get a lot of people saying, we think you should consider being a bishop. And I was like, no, 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 no. I love, I love my relationship with Robin. We met at junior high church camp. Uh, we were both volunteers. Uh, we'll be together 20 years this next month. Um, I didn't want to harm that. I didn't want to harm the church I love. I knew my, if I were, was elected, it would be controversial. And I love this church. Um, but uh, people kept asking me to be in prayer. And Robin and I, so, so two friends, two, two uh, wise colleagues said, if you feel this call, we need to know by Sunday, because annual conference is starting on Wednesday, and, and if you feel this call, we, you, you need to get the endorsement of the annual conference. I mean, that's how close the discernment was. And Rob and I went out Saturday night, we went to a Mexican restaurant and we were, it was a very prayerful meal. And we said, you know, what does this mean? What would this look like? And I talked about the fear I had. And Robin kind of stood up. It was like, it was like the Holy Spirit came down upon her and she said, but Karen, perfect love casts out all fear. Hmm. And that lifted everything. And we realized, you know, that this is a call. This is a call. And so we went to bed that night knowing that in the, more, the next day we were going to call our friends and say, okay, we have this call. The next morning we woke up to the Pulse nightclub shooting where, you know, 45, 50 uh, LGBTQ people in Florida were massacred. Um, and it didn't instill fear, it instilled um, a sense that this is the time. The, the church fosters such harm against LGBTQ people and um, it's time for another narrative. And also I love the church, I wanna see it thrive. I wanna see every single church, whether it's conservative or progressive, I wanna see them be life-giving, life-saving, uh, uh, mission centers in their communities. So um, the Holy Spirit took over from there. It, our jurisdictional meeting was so prayerful, so um, so tender as we wrestled with who is God calling for this time? The nine of us who were lifted up, we weren't competing against each other. We were in prayer together. And um, it just... It, it was an incredible, incredible, unforgettable time that has made an indelible 
imprint on all of us who were present um, through that time. And then I, I was blessed to serve the Mountain Sky Conference. I, I love this conference. I love what our churches are doing in, uh, in remote outposts, in cities. Um, I love the, uh, the clergy we have, the laity, and I think the best is yet to come for us. I, I, it's, Bishop, thank you for sharing that beautiful, beautiful story. Um, I, I'm always, I'm always in awe of how and where God brings us. Um, being someone who who is serving somewhere I didn't grow up in, you know, I, I grow up anywhere near, <laughs> you know, it's 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 comforting and hopeful to know that there's other people, right? That that God calls us all everywhere, yeah. and. Uh, the willingness and the example to say, okay, I'll go is, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, for one, am, am, am glad to glad that you're my bishop and, and, and have seen the fruits of that, uh, of the Holy Spirit working through you and through our us, conference. through us, yeah, through us. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Thank you. Um, you wrote a book called um, Together at the Table. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, you know, um, I have two books, actually. Uh, the one that I think you want me to talk about is Together at the Table. Is that? We, so, we can talk about both of them, all of them, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me tell you, um, when I, within hours of my election, when my world was turned upside down, I get a call from Westminster John Knox, the publishing company, the Presbyterian company, saying, we think you have a story to tell. We want you to publish with us. And I'm like, no, I can't, I can't say yes right now. I have no idea what my life is like. And um, I said, give me about four months and come back and talk to me. Four months later, they, um, they, they called me almost to the day. And I said, sure, I'll write. And, and by then I had had enough experience uh, in the Mountain Sky area and across the church with a lot of emails and letters. Um, and I was struck by how many people were judging me without knowing me. How many people had decided that things about me that were so far from who I am. And, um, and, and I wanted to understand the why. Um, I wanted to, and I was looking at our, our country in which it seems like all empathy has broken down. We no longer know how to feel for people who are different from us. And so I know I had to make an inward journey of what does it mean to reclaim empathy for me? Um, and then um, how can I provide a framework for us to live in community together that, um, that is hopeful? that helps us give witness to the world that uh, diversity is a sign of God's divinity, that unity isn't the same thing as uniformity, and, and really focus the communion table as the place where we, where we ought to be coming away with this, these lessons. And so that's how the book emerged. And, and as I was writing it, I realized it wasn't set out to be a memoirish type of book, but I realized that if I was going to be, if I was going to do my own work around these things, I needed to show it. And I needed to tell how I grew and how I was challenged and, um, and invite people into my story. 
Well, and that's what I found amazing about your book is one is your use of the table and how you kind of incorporate, you kind of really did a really good job of kind of always bringing that, bringing us back to the table. Um, and that was something that was really uh, touching to me because I always was thinking back um, and, and my faith experience has been uh, really centered around the table. I was brought into the church uh, really by food. <laughs> I was one of those teenagers that, you know, um, hey, Pizza. What, what, oh, yeah. What, yeah uh, well, for me, without was, pineapple, without pineapple. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's room we'll for all the people at the stand. table. Yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, for me, it was a big, uh, you know, Hey, if you, if, if you come here, well, you know, we've got food for you. And, and, and I needed that. I needed that, uh, for what was going on in my personal life, but then in the spiritual, like that kind of fell into place for both of them. So for me, the table has always been central and key to me. And it was a big part of my call when I was wrestling with my call to ministry. Um, I could not see myself, uh, not as one of the people providing space for people at the table. Um, and so I was reading this, I just like, it, it just, it just kept touching me. Um, you know, you kind of had this line that kind of, it kind of rang through and I, and I don't know where you got it from and I, I, mean, I may have missed it, but you say, uh, we eat with people we love and, uh, uh, I'm going to have to use that on Sunday. Um, I'm just going to have to, and I'll give you credit. I have no problem with that. Um, it just, it, it really um, moved me because it reminded me, and I know, I know in, in that time, uh, since the first time I met you in Houston, you know, we were at a table and you were exactly what I needed at that time. Mm. Um, you were, you listened to me, you, you, uh, you let me lament about how I felt what was going on in the church that I love and care for. And that people that were from my jurisdiction, uh, they did not represent me and I want, and you were really open and, and accepting of me, letting me lament. I mean, you were very pastoral and caring for me at, at that. I mean, that is something I will never forget. And I remember when I came back to my church after you were elected um, and I shared my story with about my experience of you at the table um, and saying, Hey, um, we can't pass judgment on someone that we do not know. Um, and, um, that's been something that's been, uh, for me, you know, in, in this tension filled area that we live in, um, trying to navigate that, um, uh, cause it really is easy to go one way or the other, but just trying to hold intention being, um, what I call true United Methodist, holding it in intention. Oh, and, really, um, and, and like I said, I found your book, your book was just, I, I saw my little experience of you in Houston. I saw it as I was reading. I was like, yep, this is her. This is truly her. This is, this is my memory of her. I mean, it's, it was very small, but it was very touching to me. Um, and I was sharing some of the stuff that on this for, um, for my associate pastor. I was like, you really got to read this book. And, uh, um, and, and I really appreciated what you had to offer, especially in, in as we enter into February and, um, and, and then, you know, it just so happened that the, the web article came out yesterday, or it was yesterday that came out. And, um, you know, the, those little things that we, where we can show moments of what the church really could be, um, to me are hopeful. Um, and like I said, I appreciate the work that you've done. Uh, you definitely have, have made an impact. And um, I know uh, it, it's not, um, it's going to be hard before it gets easier. And, uh, and I appreciate um, all that you've done. Like, there's just so much here that I would love to, you know, spend, spend time, a lot of time with you on to talk about, but um, would, would you mind just talk, I mean, the, the table is so important to you and would you mind kind of reflecting on that for us? 
Yeah, I, you know, and and it is this both both the the, the kitchen table, but also Christ table. Um, communion to me is well, all, both sacraments, baptism and and communion, are so significant to me. And if we believe that God does what God does in those, I don't understand how we could be at this point in the United Methodist Church. The, you know, communion is a means of grace. Baptism is a sign of God claiming us no matter who we are. And yet the church is at a point of saying, you know, you've been baptized, but we question, you know, we're going to keep you at arm's length. That's not what baptism, baptism redefines who we are as family. Hmm. So, so I, I just want to talk about the importance of sacrament to me. Communion to me is such an important time of meeting one another face to face, not just those who, who are at the, at the rail with us, but every person who has had an outstretched hand seeking to take this meal. Hmm. And, um, the body of Christ takes shape and form at communion. And we are reminded of who we are called, who we are called to be and whose we are as a called people. Um, and I can't, you know, I, I talk about a, 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 at the end of the book, a, a communion, because of my experience of communion with someone who has for years, for decades, written horrible articles about me, um, because we met at the communion table, I can never see him as anything less than my brother, whom I want the best for. And, you know, for us to talk about division as a church, what does that say? What does that say about our willingness to enter into the power of the table? So, I'll go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, and, and Matt, both, I love the power of the table. I mean, when we, when we think about who sat at the table with Jesus, it's easy to think, hey, they all got along. It was great as hunky-dory. And, and no, they were all different. They all had different ideas of who Jesus was going to be and what Jesus would do. And they, they didn't always like each other. They didn't always agree. And yet they came to the table. Yeah. And, and, and that, like Matt said, that line of we, we come to the table with who we love uh, is so powerful that, I mean, and I tell my churches every time we do communion, look, it doesn't matter who we are, where we're going, what we've done. You're invited. That's right. Because this is who we are. And, and communion is what kept me a United Methodist. Communion is what kept me in the church. And, and it's so powerful. Uh, because if I can be invited to the table, my God, every <laughs> this is for everyone. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you know, Matt, I don't know where I got that phrase. We eat with people we love. I, I it just kind of bubbled up, and I'm not sure if I heard it somewhere <laughs> because because it's been with me for you know almost two decades, um, and has and has really impacted how I understand communion. But you know, there's the other side. We refrain from eating with those we don't love. Mm -hmm. so, so when we come to this table, we make a commitment to love. Mm -hmm. and, and so let's make our love visible to one another. I love that. That a preach, Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> take it. Take it. Take it. <laughs> oh, it's great. 
Um, well, and like I said, I really, um, just a model experience with you, um, uh, you know, the, the meeting in Houston and then just following you since you've been Bishop and, um, seeing how you've been able to leave with, lead with grace, even though, um, it, you know, there are others who aren't necessarily happy that you're in that position. Um, I know that that's a struggle and, and you kind of, you lament about that a little bit, uh, throughout the book. Um, and, and I, I thank you for that vulnerability and showing your real self, um, uh, because, you know, um, that's, I think, what's going to get people over some of those barriers is seeing that vulnerability, seeing that openness and that willingness. And I understand it takes the person to listen, but the more opportunities we can have those people be available, um, the more uh, chances of, of growing can happen. Um, and, and I, you know, I, like this book really did, I mean, it, the, every time it seemed like I could read it, it just like the the whole idea of the table and just, it, it just kept coming after me. And, and, and it, 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 I was like, man, how can I work this in on Sunday? Um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, and, um, and, and, and that's the tension that we all hold. Um, and, uh, you know, as like you said, I, I can't, I appreciate you and all the work that you're doing, especially, uh, in a, um, a very vast conference that yours is. Um, uh, Zach and I talk all the time about, um, y'all's conference and what you got going on I'm, I'm impressed and i love it uh and uh i you know I, and a lot of that comes with your heart and your leadership and and you're you're definitely setting the, the tone on what uh and and you're helping make that difference uh getting over that getting through these times um, you're definitely being a light uh, in the in this time and thank you thank you so bishop why don't you i want to i want to i want to uh Speak about something you kind of said, how I could work it in, how I could work your story in. No, it's how you work your story in. You Where your story intersects with the gospel story. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think sermons are the place we work out our psychological issues. But I do believe, just like the Bible shows us, shows in very vulnerable ways, people who kept trying to have a relationship with God and kept stumbling in it. And then having insights about how, but it's our story too. Mm -hmm. So how do you how do you show your how do you help through your vulnerability help people to be vulnerable together? Mm. Because that's that's what makes Christian community so powerful. There's no you know there's no other place really except maybe maybe AA and and uh, recovery movements where where we are called to stand vulnerable, naked before God, vulnerable to one another. But too many churches don't do that. They don't give space to that. And as a result, I mean, I, I go to some churches and I, 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 you know, over the course of my ministry, I'm not saying now where I look around, where I've looked around and I said, why are people here? That message, there's a wall mm -hmm. between people's lives, the places they're hurting, the places they're broken, and this and this life-giving gospel message so so how can we help that and you know i you know we go to churches and and because i because i step in as a vulnerable person people know a part of my story uh whether or not i've shared with them personally but um afterwards people come up to rob and i mainly robin and they start pouring out their heartache 
you know, I have a trans child who hasn't been home for two decades. You know, my brother is gay and had has AIDS. Um, you know, I mean, just these, and not just around LGBTQ stuff, but other things. And they say, we're, I'm so alone with this. Thank you for listening. And we were like, but you're here at church. If you can't tell your story here, if you can't help have people praying for you, if you can't walk together in the dark parts and broken parts of our lives, what hope is there for wholeness and healing and, and, and helping the body of Christ knit together and be more whole and holy together? Well, authenticity is something we talk about a lot on the podcast. I mean, it's what, it's what this was built off of, of, of providing a space for people to, to wonder, <laughs> to wrestle with their theology, to wrestle with what they believe, and, and do it in a space online, because <laughs> we know as well as anyone else, there's not many safe spaces online. Right. But there are so many people out there who maybe are physically present in a church, but don't have that space. Yeah. They don't have that space of vulnerability. They don't feel like they can ask, what the heck does this mean? You know, or, or I'm, I'm really wondering about this and, and really just that place to flesh it out. Mm -hmm. and, and so we've built this podcast on that and the authenticity of here's our story. And you know what? We'll dig into something that I don't know. <laughs> I don't have an answer for and We're not here to find answers, but we're here to, to wrestle with that and, and be that one little example of, Here's, here's how you can wrestle with this. You can think about this and, and, and come to whatever conclusion you come to, whether you agree with us or not, own that. You know, here's the space to do that. And, and I, tell, I tell my churches all the time, you don't have anything but your own story. Yeah. I can stand in the pulpit. You can go tell somebody else's story. Who cares? You have your story. And if you have anything else, that's what you have. That's what you have. So tell your story. Tell people how God's working in your life, not in your neighbor's life down the street, not in somebody you've never met. That you've Tell your story because there's power in that. There's power in other people's stories. Because when we tell our story, we start to be able to see where God has been at work in it. Right, right. And, and there's, gosh, there's something, there's so much more in that than, well, I read this little story and it's cute and it gives, it gives people hope. That's great. Yeah. Where is it in your story? Yeah. You know, that story's there too. And, and I always think back to when I was in campus ministry, we did a junior high camp every year for, uh, for junior high kids. And um, we would have, I would have our college students come and tell their story, come and tell yours. And every year I'd have two or three, I, I don't really have a story. My story's boring. There's not, no, no, no. There are people sitting in that, they're junior high kids sitting out there saying the same thing. And they need to hear where God's at work in your life. Not just the lives of, of people who have struggled with addiction and things like that but there's power in your story when you think it's boring. Mm -hmm. God's there too. And we need to hear those. And uh, please go and tell that because your, your story is not, somebody is just going through hell waiting to hear your story. Yep. And there's power in that. Love that. But we have to be vulnerable. We have, we have to be authentic, uh, authentic and, and all of those things that scare us <laughs> that we don't want to do. Right. So how do we, so how do we in our churches, make space for people to tell their stories. You know, we used to have moments of testimony. We don't do that anymore. Right. You know, but we ought to, we need to reclaim. Well, and I've been trying to do what I would been trying to do here. Um, I'm trying to get people to sit down with me. Hey, come in my office. I've got this great little setup in my office. Let's sit down. Let's, let's enter. Let's, let's show people what this will look like sharing yes. your story. Um, so far I've only had 
no takers. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's been hard to get people to be vulnerable for that. And, and now as people, um, so we've been doing, I've been in this appointment long, not as long as I've been doing the podcast. This is our fourth season for the podcast. And I've been only here for a year and a half. Um, and so as people have started picking up on the podcast and seeing Zach and I interact and seeing when we've had guests on and, and we're slowly kind of building into that. And one of the things that uh, my associate and I did is that once um, we're going to do it, we did it during Advent and we're going to do it during Lent is we do something like this on Facebook live together where people, we, oh, great. we just kind of throw down the scripture and she and I just go back and forth. Ah. It's completely unscripted. And people were like, this looked complete. Like you guys rehearsed this. Like, nope. We just said, "Here's the scripture. Let's let's see what happens." And and it's been really cool to to have that vulnerability. And what's great is with all this technology that we have available, we can make it so that way you don't have to be up on the high stage. Yeah. You guys could just shoot that in the coffee shop. I mean, there's there's many ways to do that nowadays. I mean, it's not. Um, and I think we just have to provide that space. And when people start seeing it, and we've been. Um, since I've been here, we've slowly incorporated a lot of that technology stuff in to worship in a subtle way where it's not like, bam, you know, like the light shows and all that stuff that mm-hmm. people really like, but in a traditional sense that will speak truth to the gospel, but speak truth to people's lives and touch people's lives. And, um, and, and I find that, um, that it's so, it's just right there at our fingertips and all we have to do is just hit, hit record. Amen. Uh, Amen. Oh, that's great. I hope that I'll, I'll be praying for you that that ministry takes off. That sounds powerful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bishop, I appreciate your leadership. I appreciate your openness and willingness and vulnerability here just to tell your story, uh, to share with us who you are and who God's calling you to be. Um, what an example for all of us uh, to, <laughs> to, to listen and say no and say, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what an example. Because, um, you know, we just, we don't hear enough of that. We, we, we hear all of the good of, I wanted to go there. I feel, you know, we need to hear the, I'm not sure. <laughs> we need to hear and see the examples of wrestling with that because that's who we are as people. Um, and, and that's where all of us are, whether we like to admit it or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, God is calling us to, to big, big things, to new things, to vibrant things. And sometimes that is with a little bit of hesitancy. And that, I think that's good. I think that's where we find the Holy Spirit at work. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we find grace. And to have such beautiful examples of that, uh, to be open about that, I think, is, I think that's what changes this world. Uh, and, and I think that's what we need more of. So thank you for coming on and, and sharing that with us and being who you are and uh, just being wonderful. Uh, I can't say <laughs> good about you. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you both. And I'm so grateful for your ministries. And um, Matt, we don't interact as much on Facebook as Zach and I do. So we'll, we'll have to change that because we have quite a few, uh, few things we uh, go back and forth on there. But, yeah. but thank you both for your ministry and may God bless you both in 2019. Well, thank you, Bishop. And, uh, we want to encourage our listeners to go online at beardedtheologians.com and check out all of our great content that we have up and available. Um, we're hoping that uh, we don't know when this is going to air. Um, it just depends on when we have the, the get it all up and uploaded and stuff. But, um, you know, uh, we look forward to having this. Uh, we definitely probably will do this before a special general conference kind of as a beacon of hope. Um, that um, something good will come out of this because I believe something will good will come out of this. Absolutely. And, um, 
and what that will look like, we will never know, but uh, God does. And so we just trust that. And so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had today on the Bearded Theologians Beardcast, and we'd encourage you to continue those conversations online at beardedtheologians.com or on our Facebook page. We also hope that you pick up a couple of coffee mugs to uh, satisfy your coffee mug collection. Have a good day.